final countdown. Where will you spend eternity? Our passage today comes from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. The truth about hell. The song you just heard is a small excerpt of a song by a Swedish rock band group called Europe from 1986. I know some of you are wondering what a rock song is doing on a Christian radio station. God places inspiration in many places. This song is a great example of that inspiration. I heard this song in my car three weeks ago, started to change it, and stopped. God spoke to my heart. People must know the truth. Tell them about the final countdown. Just in case you didn't get the initial lyrics, let me repeat them for you. We're leaving together, but still it's farewell, and maybe we'll come back to earth who can tell. I guess there's no one to blame. We're leaving ground. Will things ever be the same again? It's the final countdown. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the time of the final countdown. Today will be the first of a much longer series I have named after this song. I hope you enjoyed it. You're going to hear it several more times. For the first sermon in this series, I'm going to preach on one of the most tiptoed around subjects in theology today. By the time we're finished, some of you will never return to this channel again. Others will come back for more. My prayer is that you will listen with an open heart as God speaks to you through me. This morning, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Hell is real. Imagine what life would be like if you had none of the wonderful things that accompany our modern world. This world is a beautiful place, and this is a wonderful time to be alive. But along with the blessings that we have and the things that we enjoy here, there are things in our modern world that are anything but good. One of the worst things that has come about in the modern world is skepticism concerning the things of God, especially those things written in the Bible. Many in our day have no confidence in the truth of the Word of God. Be that as it may, the Bible is still God's Word. It is still divinely inspired and it is believable in every aspect. Perhaps no other teaching has received more doubt than the one I'm preaching on today, the doctrine of hell. If someone still believes in hell, they're called old-fashioned, or out of touch, or out of step with reality, foolish and ignorant. Many, appealing to rationality and reason, tell us that the concept of an eternal hell, where sinners burn forever, is ludicrous and demeaning. Others, appealing to the nature of God, will say that it flies in the face of everything God is, to teach that he will consign some people to hell. Still others, turning to religion, tell us that man is capable of redeeming himself, and therefore, every man is working out in his own heaven, and there will be hell for no one. The cultists, without exception, have all concocted a plan whereby they and their followers can escape eternal damnation and live joyfully in a better world. Even those who reject their plan will either be totally annihilated or ultimately be saved. That sounds pretty good, but it's a lie. This morning, I am not concerned with what you believe about hell. I'm not concerned with what the world believes about hell. I'm not concerned even with what I believe about hell. Our focus today will be this. What does God believe about hell? Because in the end, it doesn't matter what any of us think about it. The scriptures will be proven correct, and every philosophy and opinion of man will perish. Therefore, this morning, as God gives liberty, we're going to discuss the truth about hell as part of the final countdown. If you're going there, this is your wake-up call and your opportunity to do something about it. If you're saved, this is a reminder that billions are hell-bound as we speak. Here is the truth about hell. And in the midst of all this, the final countdown has begun. The clock is ticking. 
Our core text this morning is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil, evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would come from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, if one come to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. First of all, hell is a real place. This text treats hell as being real as any other geographic location, as real as Abraham's bosom, heaven. You can't have one without the other. Did you know that an ABC News poll this week showed that 70% of Americans believed in heaven, while only 56% believed in hell? 56% believe in hell. But Jesus believed in hell. That's testified by Luke 16, 19-31, and Mark 9, 43-48. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go to hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Jesus believed in hell. So what is hell? What's the difference between Hades and Ghana? All these verses, Matthew chapter 8, Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, Jude chapter 1, all these verses teach the fact that hell will be outer, away from darkness. That is the reality of hell. It is absolute, eternal separation from the presence of God. Look at Thessalonians 8, 9. In order to understand what hell is, we must understand the differences between the Old Testament and New Testament views of hell. Sheol. The Old Testament speaks of Sheol as the realm of the dead. 
And this includes both the saved and the lost. For example, consider the patriarch Jacob, who thought of himself as going to Sheol when he died. Genesis 37, verse 35, 42 through 13, 44, 29. Sheol is not only where patriarchs go, but it's clearly spoken of as the realm to which those who die absent saving faith also descend. For example, Moses declared that when people die who despise Yahweh, that they descend into Sheol. Number 16, verse 20. Deuteronomy 32, 22. Deuteronomy speaks of Sheol as the realm of the fire of God's judgment. It's best to understand Sheol as the term for the realm of the dead, where both righteous and unrighteous went when they died. The best proof for this inclusive concept of Sheol is that David thought of himself going to Sheol, 2 Samuel 22, verse 6. And yet he also taught that the wicked go there as well, Psalms 31, verse 17. Thus, Sheol refers to the realm where the souls of all dead went at death. You'll notice I said went. I use the past tense because for the righteous, Sheol was an Old Testament concept because Jesus was truly human and he experienced death as all humans do. He too descended to Sheol and proclaimed victory over the grave by liberating the souls of the righteous and bringing them to heaven. Thus, when church-age believers die, they do not go to Sheol, but rather to heaven to be with the Lord forever. <clears throat> Hades is a New Testament or Greek term that's used to refer to Sheol. Now, Hades or Sheol refer to the same place, but there's a noticeable difference in the way the Old Testament and the New Testament speak of Sheol and Hades. The Old Testament speaks of Sheol inclusively, inclusively, and even the righteous dead descend there. However, because of Jesus' victory over death and the liberty he brings to the righteous in Sheol, Jesus does not teach that believers go to Hades, but rather that believers will be with him in heaven. Look at John 14, verses 2 through 3. Let me refresh your memory. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. For that reason, the New Testament emphasis on Hades is a place of suffering and judgment. You'll see it in Matthew 11, Luke 10, Luke 16. Even so, it is still the same location as Sheol and does refer to the place where the righteous Old Testament saints went at their deaths. This is made clear when Peter speaks that Jesus descended to Hades when he died, while the Old Testament speaks of him descending to Sheol. Let's compare Acts 2.27 and 31 with Psalm 16.10. Acts 2.27, Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Acts 2.27. Psalm 16.10, Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Don't tell me that the Old Testament has no bearing on the New Testament as some religious groups say. 
The Old Testament points the way to the future, the way that brings in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, Jesus has authority over Sheol and Hades. He has the keys to death and Hades, Revelation 1.18, which is another way of saying that he can bind or loose people from there as he pleases. Of course, he frees all the saints there at his resurrection and then uses his keys again to empty Sheol by casting the damned souls there into the lake of fire, Revelation 20, 13 through 14. Yes, hell is real. Gehenna is the New Testament name for a valley outside of Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, that valley was called the Valley of Hinnom, and it's where the Israelites sacrificed their children to Molech. By the time of Christ, that name was pronounced Gehenna, and it's said to be the place where trash and dead animals were burned. It was perpetually on fire, and thus Jesus uses it as an image of hell. Matthew 5:22, Mark 9:43 through 47, Luke 12:5. Many English translations recognize the place as obviously referring to hell, and thus if you look in your ESV version, you'll even see it translated hell. In fact, James 3:6 uses Gehenna as the obvious idiom for hell. In summary, the Old Testament, both the righteous and unrighteous, went to Sheol, which contained realms of suffering for the unrighteous and rest worship for the righteous. The New Testament refers to this as Hades. However, when Jesus rose from the grave, he emptied Sheol and Hades of the righteous. Hallelujah, praise God. And now when Christians die, they do not go down to Sheol and Hades, but up to heaven. Meanwhile, the unrighteous are left in Hades until the final judgment, when they are then resurrected, given new bodies, and cast into the lakes of fire, Gehenna forever. Revelation 20, 14 through 15. Yes, hell will be filled with real people. This man in hell was some mother's son. Possibly he left a wife and children behind. We don't know. But he certainly had brothers who were on his mind. Here is the sad fact. People you know and people I know will populate hell. In fact, it may be those of your own household that die and go there. Hell wasn't made for men, but those who reject Jesus Christ as their personal Savior will go there. Yes, hell will be filled with real people. People who simply said no to God. Will you be among them? Who do you know that will be? Hell contains real punishment. You can tell by the language that's used. It couldn't be any more plain that hell is a place of pain and torment. Some people feel this is symbolic. They better hope not. Symbolism is the only thing that's used when conventional language is inadequate to describe something. The reality is always much worse than the symbol. Here are some real torments that hell contains. Unquenchable fire. Mark 9:43, Luke 16:24. Hope you're taking notes. Memory and remorse. The rich man, son remember. Intense, unsatisfied thirst, Luke 16, 24 through 25. Misery and pain, 
Luke 16, 24 through 36, we, or 26, we've read these. Revelation 14, 10 through 11. Frustration and anger, Luke 13, 28. Eternal separation, Revelation 21, 8. From what? Everything beautiful. Separation from God himself, a place of darkness where God will never show his face on you again. Undiluted wrath. In hell, God's fury will be unleashed. If for nothing else, this ought to make everyone want to be saved. What if it isn't true? What if it is? Where do you want to spend eternity? Do you want to spend it in heaven or do you want to spend it in hell? Hell guarantees real permanence. The rich man was told he had to stay there. He is still there this morning. If you die without Jesus Christ, you will most certainly go to hell. If you go to hell, you'll be there forever, with one little exception. Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15. Let's look at that for a moment. The judgment of the dead and the great white throne judgment. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades, death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Some people think that hell's annihilation. It's not. Look in Revelation 20 through 19 through 20. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two were thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. <clears throat> I think that hell is a place of temporary purging. Just a temporary place of purging, that's all. No. And hell is not the grave either. Hell is not a parable. It's not a scare tactic. It is reality and is waiting on you if you are outside of Jesus Christ today. Hell can be avoided through a real promise. The rich man is told that the word of God holds the answer. It still does. It tells us, tells us of God's love for sinners. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Of Christ's death, death to save them. You see, just at the right time when we are still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will someone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. 
but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Of Christ's resurrection that guarantees eternal life to all those who come to him by faith. John eleven twenty five through 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you understand? It takes real work to go to hell. There are more lessons to follow that will discuss more of the final countdown as God has laid on my heart to share. But to get there, we had to establish a common ground. Again, this is one of the topics in theology that preachers steer away from, preachers get fired for because they teach on hell. Hell is real. People you love will go to hell unless you are willing to do something about it. Are you? Are you? Are you willing to talk to your children about hell? Are you willing to talk to your neighbor about hell? Are you willing to talk to your spouse about hell? Are you outside God's will? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? No, preacher. I think you're just trying to scare us. I pray to God that this lesson did scare you. I pray it scared you enough to turn on back to repentance and salvation. Are you already a child of God? Are you? Or are you one of those that doesn't really believe in hell? If you claim to be a Christian and you don't believe in hell, then I would ask you to rethink your salvation. Logic says there is no need to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior when there's nothing to save us from. If you don't believe in hell, do you really believe in Jesus? I think not. I don't see how you can. If you're truly a child of God, but you've not followed him and told others of this message, I would ask that you rethink his plan for your life. You're, if you're within the sound of my voice and you're able to bow your head for prayer, I ask you to do so. If you can't bow and close your eyes, don't worry. God has heard me many times behind the wheel of my car. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today and for your Holy Spirit. Today, there are many more than two or three gathered together in your name. There's an entire world listening today. Father, I ask you to speak to the heart of everyone within the sound of my voice. You know their needs, Father. Encourage them through the Holy Spirit to make the right decision for you. Strengthen them, Lord. Bless them with their physical needs, financial needs, and emotional needs, but most of all, Lord, their spiritual needs. Father, I love you. I thank you for your son, Jesus, as it is in his name we pray. Amen. If any of you made a decision for Christ today, I'd like to know. If there are any that need prayer, I'd like to know. No, I don't keep records of names unless I'm asked to for prayer. I don't because God knows who you are. We consider it an honor to pray for you. You can reach us at ministry at christ-lives.org. That's our email, M-I-N-I-S-T-R-Y at Christ-Lives.org. Or through our contact page on our website, http colon forward slash forward slash www 
www.christ-lives.org. Stay tuned next week for more from the Word of God. And know this, the great river Euphrates is drying up. Under its steps, archaeologists are finding strange caves and ruins. That's one of the things that must happen before Christ returns. We'll discuss these events next week in the final countdown. May God bless you and keep you. Amen. Thank you.